What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Strange Familiars. How are you doing tonight, Allison? I'm doing well. I want to mention that in our Etsy shop are the Bigfoot thank you cards, note cards, greeting cards. You could use them as Valentine's Day cards. I did use one as a Mother Day card and one as a Happy Birthday to my nephew card. <laughs> They're very useful. They're blank inside. It's my Bigfoot holding a big heart design. They've been very popular. The first print run of these cards literally sold out in one evening, basically. I listed them. I knew I ordered too few. Got another much larger print run done, and they are available in the Etsy shop. They've been selling well, so thank you, everybody. And I dropped my little mini art book with the drawings I did in bed in the hospital and when I was in bed here at home, recovering from my MS event, (laughs) as they call it. I dropped that off at the printer yesterday, was it? 
So that should be coming out soon. And that'll just be a little kind of digest-sized booklet, so it won't be as expensive as my other art books, certainly. All right, tonight's show, we're continuing with Mike's experiences of Bigfoot or Bigfoot-like things, a lot of Class B stuff. Goes over his experiences in Arizona. He talks about a close encounter with a bear, which isn't really Sasquatch-related, but he kind of mentioned it offhandedly, and I was like, well, I want to hear the bear story. Yeah. Since we're talking. <laughs> and he collected a bunch of his friends' and family's experiences uh, with, again, Bigfoot and Bigfoot-like things, whatever they may be. So he tells us those stories as well. Before we hear Mike's story, though, I want to talk about our wonderful sponsors, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy. No matter what issue you're having with your puppy, if it's mouthing and biting, or if it's help with potty training, if your puppy is exhibiting fear and nervousness, barking too much, chewing on furniture or shoes or other things the puppy shouldn't be chewing on, if you need help with crate training, hyperactivity issues, lease training, and more, 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy can help you. They have a relationship-based approach to training. They help you and your puppy become perfect for each other. 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy has online sources like video lessons, a Facebook group where you can interact with other puppy owners. One-on-one options are available as well, of course. You can find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. Let 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy help you understand how your dog thinks and apply proactive training methods so you and your puppy can become perfect for each other. Again, find them at sithappens.us. Look for the 90 Days to the Perfect Puppy link at the top of the page. And now let's hear part two of my talk with Mike. You finally hear that samurai chatter, which again, I've not heard. I, I, would, I would love to hear that. At least I think I would love to hear it. That's this is kind of where I'm going. Does your heart sink and you go, oh my goodness, that can't be anything else. That has to be something, something weird, something other. And, you know, maybe it's Bigfoot, maybe it's not, but it's got to be something. No animals are, you know, no known animals are making that sound. Or are you elated? Are, are, are you like, wow, this, I, I've been waiting so long and, and I finally get to hear this. Because I honestly don't know which way I'd, I'd fall on that one. I, that's a great question. And in this case, the latter. And the reason why is because there was a whole bunch of other people there. Mm-hmm, <laughs> so mm-hmm. I do a lot of solo camping and I've grown accustomed to it and I'm comfortable with it. And I'm still can get kind of a little willed, you know, a little get the willies a little bit like in the middle of the night. And, and a lot of times if I'm going for two or three nights, because I've got flexibility with my work schedule and I can do that, sometimes, you know, I try to make it a point to have somebody else up there with me. Mm-hmm. You know, just for safety reasons, I'm pretty remote, but also just to kind of enjoy that with other people and that kind of thing. And But a lot of times the first night or sometimes two is just me. If I heard that and it was one of those nights, yeah, I think I'd be a little bit like, uh, maybe, maybe that wasn't something I was so eager to hear. <laughs> but the fact that, you know, I had, you know, there's four or five other tents up there. Right. I think that was, that made that very different because if I was, I think now having heard it, it's it's so distinctive. It can only be that or a person making that sound. It's right. either that or 
the ghosts of samurai past. <laughs> you know, the Mogion, the elusive Mogion samurais out there talking to each other. I don't know what else it would be. There's no animals that make. Here's the other thing too. In context of those elk bugling, and when a bull elk, for listeners that have heard that many times, and especially those that are hunters or anything, a lot of times bull elk. I almost think the reason why I heard this is when a when a elk bugles. It almost sounds if you haven't heard it. It almost you know some of those those uh, accordion style straws that that kind of um, go into like a like a plastic cup that you'd go and do refills with, right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. You know when you blow on it and it makes that kind of that whistle sound. Yeah, you know, it's very similar to that, right? It starts low and it sounds like you're blowing on one of those things. So it has kind of a whistle uh, quality to it, but a lot of times a bull elk and rut will end that with a grunt. So it'll go kind of a thing, right? Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, so to your earlier point of huffs and grunts and there's deer snorts and all those types of things, those, this, it's almost like, so these elk were still going, right? These elk were going off. The elk bugles were going off. These whistles were happening kind of intermixed with that, but they were very different, but it was almost like, it was almost like audio camouflage. And I almost think that the samurai chatter may have been similar because while it, it, it was clearly not an elk grunting, it didn't sound like that at all. It had consonants to it. It had it had some kind of like language quality to it, I guess, mm-hmm. you know, it, it almost sounded like if a dad was telling his kid to like, knock it off right, of right. or like, or, telling somebody who was being stupid to it was like something was getting chastised, but it was just like, it was that almost Asiatic sounding. Just three or four kind of consonants. And it was loud enough that it had an echo to it. Wow. You kind of heard it reverberate down into the kind of the Canyon that was several hundred yards away from us. But Anyways, just a, a lot of a lot of structures, active, kind of consistent stuff. I think one of the other things that, just for what it's worth, what's interesting about the area is the Mogan Rim, because the area is so prone to brush fires, the Forest Service does a lot to kind of keep the underbrush cleared out. Mm-hmm. It's, just, it's just fire fuel. It's just kindling waiting to happen. So I say that because you can see through the forest quite a long ways when you're up, you know, barring any changes in elevation and where there's little canyons and draws and hollows and stuff like that. In a straight line, you can see through the forest quite a ways because you have these big ponderosa pines, which drink a lot of the water anyways, but a lot of the underbrush, unless we've had a lot of heavy rains, we'll get ferns that'll all of a sudden pop up and they'll get huge and you'll get like a, an undergrowth of ferns that they just kind of let, they won't clear those out because they're done in a season. Mm-hmm. But I say all that to say that I think that daytime sightings are super rare around here because the concealment, the methods of concealment in some of these areas is really limited, right? It's really about terrain more than it is about vegetation. So again, going back to that castle and moat theory, if, if they're moving around and keeping things to kind of obscure their view or their, their method of travel or whatever, other than some blinds or some of these structures that they'll use for kind of concealment, I think that, I think because of that, they are very circumstantially nocturnal around here anyways. Mm-hmm. 
you know, versus other areas that I've been in Washington state, I did a lot of military training out there in some sketchy areas that I know had to have activity. I got jumped by a black bear that exploded out of the shrubs right in front of me just because it was so easily concealed. Wow. You know, one of the thickest places, scariest, eeriest places is in Texas and East Texas around the Trinity river and big thicket areas. Mm -hmm. Completely unnerving because it is a wall. Everything around you is a wall of vegetation, spiky, thorny, viney, grabby vegetation that, you know, when I've heard other people talk about all those experiences that in East Texas and how aggressive supposedly that they are down there and everything. I've been in those areas and I don't last very long. Um, you know, I won't solo camp, but I've been in there for several hours late at night sitting in a vehicle with windows open and I've tried to get out of the vehicle and it's just unnerving, like hmm. to the point of like, like needing to leave but I think that some of those areas where you have that thicker vegetation and, and things can get away with doing more daytime. There's, there are some um, documented daytime sightings, a handful of them up around the Mogollon Rim and going up into the White Mountains. Uh, there certainly are around here in Arizona, but, but I think that they're fewer and farther between. They're either in really off peak times, uh, times of year, or maybe in, Earlier in the week when there's not a lot of people, the, the Mogollon Rim has a lot of recreation going on. People go up to some of those areas are really densely po- populated in the weekends because everybody's out there with their with their off-road vehicles, you know, uh, on these roads that are fun to ride on, on their little dune buggies and stuff, or these razors and, and stuff like that, quads, those types of things, mm-hmm. which is why I go to these other areas that don't get frequented at all by those people. Because right. it's like it's like rush hour for campers. It's right. you know? So I go away from all those people where there's I'm more likely to see not Bigfoot but wildlife and and nobody. <laughs> just go have some quiet time to myself. You know? So quickly, just because you mentioned it, it's nothing to do with the paranormal. But how did that bear story play out? The, the bear jumped you, and then what, then what happened? Yeah. So um, so I was so I'd spent a bunch of time in the military, and I was up doing some training. I was doing some kind of infantry tactical training stuff. Uh, it was actually part of, of officer training that I was doing up at Fort Lewis, Washington, which Fort Lewis is in the base wilderness that leads right up to, to Mount Rainier, right? So mm-hmm. the whole area is, I mean, it's thick with history of all things um, squatchy, right? But a lot, of, a lot of very large mountain lion population, black bear, all these other things we were out doing these little kind of recon things during the daytime and we were split off in pairs. And I was with a guy actually out of Florida, big athletic guy. I think he played college lacrosse, something like that. Um, cool guy. And we were out doing some maneuvers and we all had radios. We were kind of doing these, these tactical kind of training operations. And we would get these stand down orders where we could just kind of have to stay in place and wait till they told us to kind of move to the next area. Mm-hmm. So we were we were kind of getting into place, and what we, we were supposed to stay tactical and kind of laying down and hidden and, and you know kind of maintaining tactical movement. But we were we had been sitting around for like two and a half hours, and we were really bored. So we kind of both got up, and everywhere up there's blackberry and raspberry bushes everywhere. And I was literally like, I'm gonna kind of sneak over to that hedge there, and I'm just gonna grab some berries. And he he said, me too. And, you know, this is probably 25 feet away from where we were. And we're full on picking berries. 
And out of the very, this, and this berry bush was probably 12 feet high and about, I don't know, 50 feet thick. I mean, it was, <laughs> it was huge. And we're just picking what we can and, and picking what we can and just eating them right off the, right off the plant. And as I'm picking one, I hear kind of a rustle in the bush. I'm like, what was that? And he kind of stops and looks at me too. And just in an explosion of movement, an adolescent, it wasn't very big. It was chunky, but it, you could tell it wasn't full grown. An adolescent black bear exploded out and got, it was face to face with it. I was probably two feet away from it. Mm. It was bristling. It was kind of bowing. It's, it was trying to do its best grizzly bear impersonation, a little <laughs> black bear. Um, it was kind of bowing up and snorting, had these beat. I, I never forget it. I, seeing it in person like that, I was like, their eyes are so squat and beady. And I was just sitting there snorting and reminded me like a little small breed of a dog that's, you know, kind of trying to be huffy and uneasy at the same time, just kind of, <laughs> kind of snorting. And it, the funny part was the the guy that I was with who was, I'm, I'm about 6'1", he's about 6'5". He's a pretty lanky guy. He literally jumped into my arms like, <laughs> like he he jumped like I caught him too. It was like a TV, it's like someone on a movie. He's like ah, and he jumped and 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 immediately was embarrassed and jumped out. And I was like, you know, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> Holding your big frame and and uh, anyways, he jumped down and the thing just kind of backed away and trotted off. No, nothing happened. We didn't get hurt or it just was kind of posturing with us and. Did, did you yeah. have live ammo? Should you need it or no? We had we, you know we had blanks. We yeah, had I figured. Yep. Yeah. yeah, we were doing kind of active stuff. Yeah, it didn't turn into anything other than scared the they almost scared the feces out of us. But yeah, well, maybe, maybe blanks would have scared it if it if it came down to that. But wow, I think so. I think the noise would have done it. I, I think I, I think we kind of yelled at it and it kind of ran away. But mm-hmm. still, close <laughs> enough. He's and he's from Florida originally, and he's like, man, I'm not scared of gators at all. But that scared. He goes, I was scared for my life, and I was like, man, if we were roles were reversed and, and a gator jumped us, I'd have been a jumping in your arms. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's more, more down to what you're used to. That's right. So. Well, speaking of bears, tell us the story of finding the bear carcass. Oh yeah, so this was kind of an interesting one. So this is the other. There's actually lots of a lot more wilderness areas in Arizona than people know or typically unless you live here um the wildest area it's actually an area where we have one of our ski resorts too it's way back in i would say way back but it's back in there's a couple of the apache indian reservations there's san carlos which is eastern arizona and then north of that's the white mountain apache reservation those white mountains that's where we have a healthy black bear population that's where the best fishing is that's that's where you get up into um, some of the forest, you know, where you're getting into higher elevation forests and some of the stuff like you'd find in Colorado and some of these other areas. And my son and I, we were actually, we were in a town down off of the reservation called, I don't know, we rented a cabin just for our, our family to get away. And I took my son to go up to this lake, this lake called Holly Lake, which is on the reservation. It's it's a pretty well-known lake and go up there. There's eagles up there and there's osprey and all kinds of cool stuff. You can, a lot of wildlife up there. It's also the area like where the coldest recorded temperature in Arizona is, you know, it's, it's remote, it's high, it's high elevation, it's up there ways. And as we were getting close back there, I mean, I was keeping my eyes peeled. Now I can't help it, right? We're driving back on these switchbacks to get up to this lake and there's a couple little turnoff roads that I took note of 
that I wanted to pull off after we left the lake that I wanted to look at some stuff. And I got, I've got a lot of cool pictures of some crazy, this is where I saw some structures that had a lot of uh, human litter kind of incorporated randomly. Um, like, like a piece of corrugated tin roof just kind of strewn in there, which my first thought was, Oh, people. Right. And you got back there and you started seeing just again, that just very different from how people might make a structure. Right. People make a structure to kind of, you know, block out elements and, and they're just not as strong and as tough as we've already talked about at length. So we found a few of these. And then I went as we were kind of leaving the lake and going back down to the cabin to meet up with the rest of the family and make dinner and all that. So we'd be gone for a few hours, but I went off on one of these side roads and I was just like, let's just go see if we can find something. And it was actually really cool because first of all, Arizona doesn't have a huge bear population, but those people that are out, if they are hunting bear, they're taking the, especially a bear skull or the hide or anything like that. If something, I'm not saying bears aren't out there dying of natural causes, but it's hard to find a bear carcass period. Oh yeah. You know, anywhere, any place, even, even up in Alaska where I've been and I've got a good friend who lives up there and he hunts black bears regularly where they're a nuisance animal. There's not even a bear season in some of these areas. It's very rare. You're going to just come across a bear carcass. And to clarify, it wasn't actual carcass as much as, as the remnant bones, like the leftover meat and hide had since been picked off or whatever. Mm-hmm. But we found a very intact, and this also looked probably adolescent. It wasn't like a big bear skull, but it was a it, good bear skull. I've got all kinds of pictures of this intact, but it looked like something uh, across the bridge of its snout had been crushed or had blunt force trauma that hit there. I couldn't see the rest of, to see it It very well could have been something natural or whatever, but this was off of any road. I was finding some of these tree structures with my son. He was looking at me weird when I was doing a few kind of hollers, just, you know, I was just doing a couple howl kind of when whoops, he's like, what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm just checking to see if we hear anything answer back. Okay. And you know, I've since kind of talked to him a little bit about Bigfoot or whatever, but you know, we're, we're kicking around out there and then that's when we find first, we find some bones and eventually we find that skull. And like I say, right across on the bridge of the nose, part of the nose where the nose cartilage and everything, obviously if you take the skin away, the skull shape is different than it is, than it looks like with the, with the nose, right? Cause of the cartilage and the soft tissue that rots away or is, mm-hmm. can be easily kind of, uh, biodegradable or whatever but the bridge across just just below where the eyes are leading down to that opening where the soft tissue and the cartilage and everything on a bear snout would be that bridge of the nose had been crushed by something not crushed but had been like it looked like if you or i took a a big heavy bat or an aluminum bat and smacked it across the head of a bear Mm -hmm. i guess or that's what it looked like it got hit. Um, it didn't look like it got hit after it had died and it had been sitting there because it was sitting, it was laying on the side. The skull was on its side. So I, I'm, I'm no forensic expert. Right, and right. Who knows? Yeah. Maybe, you know, maybe a random passerby that was completely off the trail like we were saw that and smacked it. But we picked that thing up and we still have that bear skull. Awesome sitting out in our garage. So, so who knows what happened with it, but it was around this area that had a lot of structures, very, very remote, 
just like on a, off of a logging trail that I just randomly turned off on. And then I had, we had walked through this big clearing and we were probably 500 yards from any trail or road or anything. We just, we just went just straight cross country and we randomly came across it. And, and my son's super fascinated by bones and fossils and dinosaurs and all that stuff too. So he loved, I mean, he, can we keep it? Yeah, let's keep it. You know, we'll clean it up, take it home. And we did. We, the canines were still in the, the, the lower skull had kind of been detached, but we got, we got a lot of the other kind of bone pieces and stuff, but we mainly just kept the skull. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. yeah I, I, large predator skeletons are pretty rare to find. Yep. They really are. I don't know. I've found obviously deer besides mm-hmm. not just roadkill, but not even that it's very random or maybe livestock that was on some wild range that got loose or like a sheep or something like that. But one of the things actually also on the video of an American fork and if anybody cares, I don't, I'm not trying to promote it. I really don't care. I'm not, I'm not really putting a lot of content on there, but it's AZ Squatch is the YouTube channel. And one of the ones, I think it's titled, Sasquatch throws rock or American Fork Canyon or something like that on that same one where that rock was thrown that you could hear and whatever we came across. And this was something too. I I've definitely come across areas where scavengers like coyotes and even porcupine that'll eat the bones for calcium and Mm -hmm. these types of things, animal uh, carcasses that have been hit by animals. They're scattered. It looks like almost like a bomb went off, like a little, or, or a grenade went off. Like there's stuff everywhere. It's not like a neat, kempt kind of a situation. When we were going back on this video, we filmed this too. We came across this very interesting structure. So we'd seen several structures, but we found one that almost looked like a small, you know, size for one dwelling kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. Maybe not a dwelling, but like a shelter, like an actual shelter that had collapsed or looked like it had been collapsed with real heavy, dense stuff. We were looking around and filming and talking and thinking out loud on the video and everything. And right behind it was a deer hide that was clearly from an ant, something that had eaten the animal, not from a hunter. This, you couldn't even hunt in this area. This is this area was not a hunting area. Mm-hmm. And in a fairly neat pile on top of the stripped hide was bones, mm-hmm. like all gathered together. And I've heard this multiple times before. I've heard this from other people. I've heard this on many interviews that people that may come across an area or an area where they think that feeding has happened is that there'll be a it'll be more organized than than if like a bunch of scavengers got a hold of a carcass and stuff scattered everywhere. Mm-hmm. And you can see it right there. We were videotaping it as we walk up on this thing, and it's like this this hide is laid hide side down, fur side down, and on top of it is a fairly neat arrangement, not like uh, just like a neat pile gathered kind of of these bones all hmm. kind of together from, from this deer sitting on top of this hide. Wow. Yeah, I don't. I mean, that's not normal predator behavior. And usually uh, even squirrels, will, will, just because of the number of skulls I find, we have inside and outside skulls and the, the outside skulls, the squirrels will, will take and drag all around the yard and chew on them and stuff. They, they love chewing on bone. Yeah. Get, get their calcium intake. Yeah. A lot yeah. of, a lot of, un- I mean, I think that there's, there was video recently that somebody popped up. They're like, what, what the hell is this giraffe doing? And giraffe was eating a carcass 
hmm. was eating bones off a carcass, you know, somewhere in the, in the, you know, somewhere in Africa, you know, in, in uh, one of the game preserves, They're just watching this giraffe with a rib cage in its mouth, you know, 20 feet up in the air, mm-hmm. chewing away like, like uh, chewing its cud. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it happens. So do you have time to, to go over some of these uh, stories you collected from friends and family? I do. I mean, if I'm not wearing you out, I, I, there's there's some interesting ones. I'll try to go through um, these quicker. And yeah, yeah. Speak very visually. I apologize. I can think out loud. <laughs> That's <laughs> so fine. That's fine. I don't rant too much. So yeah. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around: a watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I'm just going to go down the list. So this one was actually a scoutmaster that told me this is a soft-spoken, big, giant bear of a man, not prone to storytelling kind of a guy. He told of a situation, and this was, I was probably 14, 15. He was hunting down in central Utah somewhere, I want to say near the Beaver, Utah area for anybody that listens that knows where that's at. But that's kind of we'll call it high kind of sage brush meets the mountains. There's a lot of cedar and pinyon trees, juniper, not up in the big trees or anything. That area, they're hunting javelina. So javelina are the wild pigs of the desert of the West. Okay. Um, They're short, coarse haired little pigs. They're kind of ferocious and a popular hunting game. They're not as nearly as invasive as like you hear people in the South talk about the wild hog population. They look quite a bit different, kind of like a little, desert razorback looking thing they um were out in these areas it was in the evening time they were kind of scouting around and they were i guess i'm not a huge hunter i've been out scouting and i've done some environment and coyote hunting and some other stuff too but i guess some hunters will go out and as they're kind of scouting an area um, these guys were kind of skylining and watching meaning that uh watching the ridges for some of these pigs to go in kind of a single file line they'd walk a lot in a line um, and they were watching for some of these pigs. They were kind of trailing some and seeing if they would walk over the ridge so that they could keep tracking them and get closer to them, shoot them, whatever. As they're doing that, so it's kind of in the late afternoon, early evening hours, as they're kind of doing that, they're trying to give the visual of this, not right in front, but uh, several hundred yards in front of them is a big cedar tree that's kind of upslope of them. And further up the slope is the hilltop. Kind of like we were talking before, you can see stuff cross over the top of the hill, and that's what they were watching for. Right, yeah. They were focused on the hilltop that was kind of upslope and past this cedar. They can see the hilltop, 
above the top of this tree, just to kind of give that vantage point. As they're kind of focused on it, though, and they're looking through scopes, I think one is a, one's a spotter and the other one's actually looking through his rifle scope. They're both looking, and I don't know if you've seen this. I'm sure you have. When you get a tree where a lot of birds are roosting in it, and something kind of spooks or the birds are all kind of active in the tree, you'll kind of see waves of movement of the birds moving around in the tree, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, as they're kind of shifting from branch to branch or whatever, or if they start to get spooked a little bit, you'll kind of see them all move at the same time. So these guys are looking at the, the hilltop, but they kind of see this kind of thing, they think, happening in this big cedar tree down in front of them. Cedar trees in these areas are a lot of doves, uh, morning doves or turtle doves or whatever are down in this area, or up in that area, I should say. And anyways, they think they're seeing a bunch of doves. They've been seeing doves in these trees. They think they're seeing a bunch of these doves because there's kind of these grayish, grayish color of movement happening, what looks like in this tree. Like, man, those stupid birds keep throwing me off kind of a thing. He says, and he's the one spotting. He's not the one with the rifle, the one who's telling me the story. You know, they're just kind of whatever, waiting. They're not seeing anything on the hilltop. So they start focusing in on this tree, and they both go dead silent. And the first guy's like, do you see that? And what they thought was a bunch of birds, kind of grayish, kind of buckskin color, gray tan in color, moving at once was something behind the tree kind of swaying. Not swaying like rhythmically like you hear, but almost like swaying like it's kind of moving, shifting its weight to see if it can see through the branches better, looking back at them. Mm-hmm. They're like, what What in the world is that? And they're looking at it, and essentially, I'll kind of just fast forward, they, they're looking at it, and they can see the outline of something very large, very, very large behind this tree that's shifting its weight, trying to look back. And the one with the rifle scope, he's like, it's like it's looking at me in the eye through the freaking scope. And they're frozen with absolute terror, like looking at this thing, which is still several hundred yards away. But it's like this thing is looking back directly at them. And and it's almost like it's trying to stay hidden behind this tree, but is also shifting around to move around to see if it can get a better view through the branches or whatever. And they're sitting there, and the guy who's telling me the story, his I can't remember if it was his brother or a good friend or cousin or something, his hunting buddy, at some point says, I'm trying to pull the trigger, and I can't. I physically cannot pull the trigger. Wow. And I just remember when that guy was telling the story, because we were on a camp out, and he's looking at the fire, and he, had, he absolutely had the thousand-yard stare. Hmm. You know, he was just kind of like not blinking, just zoned out looking at the fire, just being like, you know, thinking to himself, my, my life was changed that day. He didn't say a whole lot more about that. I just remember being completely struck by that story that they watched it for several minutes. Wow. Until they finally said, let's get out of here kind of a thing. But his buddy, he said, I, I think he did say after the fact that he's like, my buddy, the idiot or whatever <laughs> that was trying to pull the trigger. Luckily he couldn't. Yeah. It's probably a good thing that, that he didn't, but, Still, yeah. that's an interesting point. I I wanted yeah. to pull the trigger and I couldn't. And I don't know if that was a zapped thing. I don't. Again, higher power telling them don't tangle with something because you're not going to like the the other end of that thing. Whatever. Mm-hmm. That's an interesting one. And from a real credible kind of a guy who that was probably one of three or four stories I may have ever told. He, totally nice guy, and it wasn't like he was shy or a recluse or anything. He just wasn't a. He wasn't the guy telling the stories of the campfires. Right. Just, yeah. Yeah. And a few of the guys had already gone to bed and it was like, 
it was like he finally worked up the nerve to be like, all right, well, you guys are all 14 and 15, so I guess I'm not going to get too much persecution from you. Probably yeah. the uh, only time or one of, one of the few times he ever told it, too. That's the way it usually goes with those guys. It felt that way, certainly. Yeah. This next one's probably one of my favorite ones. So I, like you, uh, Tim, am a musician or was and performed a while. Funny enough, while I was kind of – a lot of the time I was in the military, I was in the reserves – and there was another guy in a different unit that we kind of that our band and his band would play at the same place now and again, this kind of this bar and different bands, different music. We never played together. We were, we were kind of a rock, a little bit more popular rock. Those guys were a little bit more like heavy metal, hard rock kind of band. But, but I, I, I befriended their drummer. Uh, John was his name. Really cool guy. And until I got to know the guy, he was a super intimidating guy. He looked like a gym rat. He wasn't tatted out or anything, but just just a big guy. Just uh, looked looked like he was mad dogging everybody when he'd look at you. You know, just mm-hmm. kind of a resting jerk face kind of a thing. So I got <laughs> to know him. And he was total softy. But he told me I don't know how we got on the subject, but after I befriended him a while and we realized we had you know a bunch of stuff in common, we were talking, and somehow we got talking about weird things, camping in the woods, whatever. I don't, I can't remember. We got on the subject eventually of Bigfoot where he talked about, he grew up up in that Cache Valley area, but I think he grew up in Southern Idaho. Either way, one of the wildest parts in all of Idaho, you have the Island Park area, which butts right up against like the Tetons into Yellowstone and that. But in the central part of the state, very, very wild country in the Sawtooth Mountains. He told the story of his grandpa who was I think he had a foot out the door for retirement like he was just about to retire and he had fond memories of during the winter time that they would that a lot of times that over like Christmas vacation or something like that they'd go up to visit grandpa they'd have turns the grandkids where they would go and stay up and he was at a remote location like a cabin where you you park down off, off of a highway and you had to take a snowmobile several miles up to where he would stay I don't know what the purpose of him being tucked away in this area in the wintertime was other than he, maybe he was checking on certain areas. I don't know if it was snow melt, some functional reason, practical reason he was up there mm-hmm. and was kind of tired of it. <laughs> you know, like, like I say, he was about ready to retire. It wasn't like, it wasn't a very enjoyable thing, but he was just a hardworking old salty old forest service guy. Right. And he said that one time, they were out there and he said, again, I don't know how his grandpa kind of approached it with them, but basically he's like, I have to go check on this area. You're going to come with me. It's going to be cold. We're going to take the, the snowmobile out and listen, uh, there's some weird stuff that can happen up here. I don't want you to be frightened of anything, whatever. Kind of gave him some, he didn't really prep him for anything. Didn't say anything about what he was going to see, but just said, Hey, just hold tight. Um, when I get off, I'm, I'm going to quickly go check this area. It's just going to take me a minute. You stay on the snowmobile and then we'll jump. I'll, I'll come back. We'll turn around and we'll head back to the cabin. But it was a few miles away from where they were staying further up into the, the woods. Well, anyways, they go up to this area. It's kind of afternoon, you know, in the wintertime and those higher latitudes, you know, wintertime or nighttime comes pretty quick. So, you know, three, four o'clock is basically evening. And uh, he said it was evening, it was super cold, cold and crunchy snow, you know, from 
having been iced over, no fresh snow recently or anything like that. And I go back into an area where there was kind of a clearing. And he said in this clearing, what was weird about this clearing was that on the back side of this clearing, there was uh, a dozen or so trees, little whatever local little pine trees or whatever, that had been kind of, there was like a dozen of them that were twisted together in kind of a crescent shape, meaning there was like at the end, like a backstop of this clearing was in like a half circle where like two trees would be twisted up. The next to it were two more trees that were twisted together that had grown twisted together. Hmm. Like they had been uh, forcibly twisted or, or grown that way. Right. Right. He just said, I remember that being very strange and it feeling like a very weird area. And by the way, he was, I want to say he was probably in the 13, I don't know, 11 to 13, somewhere in their age range. And he said, when they pulled into that clearing, his grandpa just stopped. He said, no, just hold, hold, or hold tight. Don't make any noise kind of a thing. And he's listening there. And then he says his, his grandpa was just looking back at that little semicircle of trees. And he said that over kind of on one side of the tree was, I don't know, some kind of a, I really don't know. I can't remember what he said. If it was like a box, not a box, like cardboard, but like a, like a, a permanent box that stuff you might put stuff in, mm-hmm. I guess, something some kind of a storage box uh, and like an, a wooden one or something. And his grandpa was just kind of waiting almost like he was just kind of making sure everything was safe. And he said, you know what? Walk with me. And he started to walk with him and they got almost to that box and they heard, heard some other stuff moving around them on the edge of the clearing. And they could kind of see, I mean, in the wintertime, you can see through the trees quite a, quite a ways, right? When all the mm-hmm. leaves are down. Even, even with evergreen, you can see through because a lot of the underbrush, underbrush and everything is uh, snowed down. Right. And he can see movement moving around some trees. And he's like, and I think he says, Grandpa, what's that? Or something of that nature. His grandpa's just like, you know what, stay here. His grandpa kind of trots over. I, I want to say they even had snowshoes on maybe. I could be wrong. But he trots over, puts something small into that box, and he says, let's go. we got to go now. And as they're walking back to the snowmobile, he's looking back over his shoulder and, and, and is immediately chastised by his grandpa. He's like, don't look. Go back to the snowmobile. And he starts to see multiple Sasquatches coming out of the trees into the edge of the clearing from all sides. Wow. Um, four or five of them, I want to say. He's scared and he's like, uh, you know, scared, stunned. Like, but, and at this point, his grandpa's just kind of dragging him by the hand, getting back on the snowmobile. They start that thing up and he's like, don't look back. We're going to go. You just stay tight. Everything's going to be okay, kind of a thing. And, if you can kind of imagine him kind of hugging onto grandpa sitting behind him and he's looking to the side while his face is pressed up against grandpa's back kind of a thing. And, you know, scared out of his mind, what in the world did I just see? And as they're kind of pulling out of there and he didn't tear out of there, he pulled out of there quietly and softly, almost respectfully. And as he's going by and they pass by one of these big trees on the side of the little trackway that they came in on, there was one right behind a tree that he got a really good look at, but the thing was shifting to keep the tree between him and the snowmobile. Right? Huh. So as they were slowly going by it, it was sidestepping to keep the tree. So he said, I could totally see shoulders on either side, but keeping the tree between him and him right. and the snowmobile. And after they got about, I don't know, 
10, 20 yards or whatever out of that immediate area. Then he picked up speed and then he was, then he was full speed out of there. Wow. But he, he said it scared him. He, and it, he, he said he never wanted to go up there again. Oh, they got back to the cabin and his grandpa said, uh, you have any questions about what you saw? Cause this is the only time I'm ever going to talk about it. You can ask me. Oh, wow. And he goes, we're never talking about this again. Um, you, you pretend like you never saw this stuff. And he asked him what he was. He goes, I don't know what they are, but they've been here or I've seen them many times. Uh, I don't think he asked him what he was doing. I think he said in hindsight, he felt like he was, I don't know if he was giving them something or what, but he was placing something. But he said, that area is a little spooky. That's a place that they go. It's special to them. Almost like it was like, I don't know, maybe a sacred area or an area of some importance to them. They kind of had manipulated the trees that the way that they had. So it had, you know, it had a very unique look to it. The right. way they had, was the, there was these 12 or so pairs of trees. Don't know the significance other than that, other than it was just very recognizable as very different the way that those trees have kind of been twisted as they've grown together hmm. you know, upright or whatever. So really like that story. But when yeah. he was telling me that story though, this grown massive weightlifting guy, <laughs> I mean, he was sobbing, which, mm-hmm. which he was really embarrassed about for a long time after that. Oh no, I've seen it. I've seen these hunters and these big tough guys, you know, biker looking dudes shake yeah. and, and, uh, it's, you know, the, the tears running down their cheeks and they're just shaking as they're telling you these stories. Yeah, it was, it was, I mean, he was rubbing his eye. I'm sorry, man. Trying to laugh it off. It's so stupid. I don't know why he's like, that's the first time I've told that to anybody in a long, long time. And, and man, it's just like, it, and it was just like, he kind of the same thing. He, he wasn't even kind of looking at you while he's telling the story. He's just kind of staring off being like, He's reliving, you know, it was just, he went to another place and took me there with him for a minute. It was, I remember just coming out of that being very changed by that. I was just like, no way. Yeah. I totally they exist. Yeah, those are some of the most powerful, like the grown men that come up and are so shaken are, have, I know for, for Alice and my wife have been some of the most convincing for her where she's turned to me after they've told their stories that, you know, this is at a paranormal convention or whatever. And uh, she'll turn to me and just say, I don't know what he saw, but he saw something. Like, yeah, right. It kind of transcends with, you know, however skeptical you might be. Mm-hmm. The story and the way they tell it, there's there's an energy. They're bringing you, you know, that experience kind of almost three-dimensionally right in front of you, and you can tell. Yeah, yeah. A couple of these other ones. Uh, this one, so this is going to sound like my brother's sister's cousin's brother kind of a situation. <laughs> so my sister married into a family. This is her husband's uncle. Okay. Her husband's uncle was a retired police sergeant or a police chief. This was also in the White Mountains, not not too far from the area that I found that bear skull, a little further south. But they would go on these little country rides all the time. And uh, the short version of this story is they were on one of these back kind of a logging road and a little pickup truck, him and his wife, during the day. And I think that they heard a howling sound kind of a thing. They slowed down to kind of hear, see what they were hearing. And as they slowed down right in front of them on a road, so the road, there was kind of a slope up to the left and a slope down. So a slope up to the left, slope down to the right. And this thing came out of from the down slope like it was going uphill. And the road in front of them just, I don't know, uh, 50 feet maybe in front of them. I mean, they had a very clear 
daytime look at this thing. This thing stopped. It was very tall, very lanky. At the time, he compared it. He said it even kind of looked like. I want to be careful how I, how I relay his comments, but there was an NBA player that played for the Phoenix Suns here that he said, you know, it looked a lot like him mm-hmm. from a very dark skin. He just said it looked like Tim Thomas was the name of the NBA player. You can look him up. He, he yeah, He's actually from Pennsylvania. He's a big seven-foot tall guy, um, but he said, I think it was more the build, right? He looked like a big, lanky very athletic thing covered in it was very dark skin, very black hair looked at him just absolute, you know, wanted to break his neck kind of a look that he gave both of them. And by this point, they both, both of them had, I don't know if they got out of the truck, but they'd opened their doors and stood behind the doors and saw, and, and were looking, staring at this thing, making eye contact with this thing while it was kind of grimacing at them. Hmm. I think he hollered something, I know what you are, or something like that, um, to this thing. And this thing yelled back at him, you know, some ugly yell. And they said then it took off the upslope, and they said that thing moved. It looked fake, how fast it moved mm-hmm. and how fast it moved uphill, as you hear so many other people, just right up a dirt slope, you know, kind of in, in, in this area. So they saw that thing go tearing up and they, they sat and looked at the thing. And they were having the staring contest there for a few minutes. Wow. I found this thing terrified, but uh, also according to my brother-in-law, this is, this is, this guy's the farthest from being prone to storytelling. He's an old, I wouldn't say he's an old crotchety guy or anything, but just, you know, how you might imagine some old retired police sergeant or something like that might be. Mm -hmm. He's seen a lot. He probably doesn't tell a lot of stories. So that's a good one. My nephew. So the one who was with me when the rock got thrown and when we found that weird deer carcass and we found all these structures in in, uh, American Fort Canyon in Utah, what turned him, he used to kind of laugh. So when we had family gatherings and if Bigfoot came up as some fascinating topic at a reunion or something like that, he'd be like, Bigfoot doesn't exist. You know, he was almost, I wouldn't say he was rude, but he was pretty boldly skeptical. He's like, it's a bunch of crap. Mm-hmm. Well, he was trying to get a job or he was getting a job somewhere up in the Seattle area. He'd moved up there on his own. There was some holdup with his job where he had to wait. There was some delay where the opening that he went, he literally packed up and left and he had to kill a couple months, I think, till this job started. And so to make ends meet, he was driving for Uber and until he got something more stable, he was staying on some kind of the improved campsites, kind of in the back campsites away. It wasn't like he was being a vagrant or anything, but he was trying to just kind of be behind the scenes and was just trying to, you know, he didn't have a lot of money because he was trying to save up. So he was a couple places. I wouldn't say he was squatting, but maybe a few nights he did, you know, use their, use their showers. These would be more like improved campsites that had like a little shower house and the right, bathroom yeah. and everything picnic table. Um, but he was one back near an area called Carnation, which is east towards the Cascades of the Seattle area, about, I don't know, 40 minutes away, right along uh, the Issaquah River or Snoqualmie River or something like that, by a pretty sizable river, tucked back away in this little back corner campsite. And he had a few experiences that happened there, but significantly he woke up one night, he was just in a tent, He'd park his stuff. He'd leave his stuff there, leave the 
tent up, go do a couple of his Uber runs and come back. And that was kind of what he was doing while he was kind of waiting out getting this job. He heard it would just be him. He'd like kind of a campfire. He just did his own thing. Didn't really know anybody. So he just spent a lot of time by himself. And there was times that he kind of was having the whole like weird owl situation while he was staring at the coals of the fire before he's getting ready to turn in. Uh And he was kind of tucked back away. This particular site he chose was pretty obscure. It wasn't like it was inside of these other campsites. And I actually went to this campsite. I went and looked at the exact area where all this happened. So, because I really wanted to see it and I traveled to Seattle for work and uh, drove back there. But he first described hearing movement around his tent, hearing weird owl sounds, having stuff. There's no trees directly over him, overhanging his campsite, but being by the campfire and having little pebbles thrown or whatever towards the campsite, like hearing stuff kind of or a pine cone be thrown in or something like that. I, that would be like one night. And then the next night or a few nights later, he said where it kind of he knew something was out there. He didn't know if it was maybe some other little punk kids that were kind of, you know, kind of rousing with him or whatever. He he certainly wasn't thinking Bigfoot. He, he was boldly thinking those things didn't exist. Mm-hmm. Now, fast forward to, I guess, a few nights later or another night where he was hearing kind of movement around his tent in the wee hours. Again, was getting to the point. I think he kept like a, I think, <laughs> I think he had a batter he may have had a sword or something. I didn't have a firearm or anything, but he had, you know, I was getting to the point where I think he was getting ready to say something and he started moving around. He sat up in his tent, maybe working up the courage or something to say something. And then he heard the thing kind of trot off big steps, heavy, but the river that he's not far from, I've looked directly at that river and right off the bank, it immediately goes deep and that thing is flowing and it's, it's a sizable, it's a good 50 to 80 feet across this river, maybe more. And it's deep. I mean, it's, it's a, it's, that's a river. It's a, a legit river. And he heard this thing waiting. Like he heard the thing, like if you or I were to go walk through a Creek uh-huh. and you are sloshing around and you can tell it's a person walking through, you know, he heard that thing waiting until he, maybe it got too deep or whatever, but he heard something go and he's like, I swam in that thing and he's like, or on the edge of it. And he's like, I could barely touch the bottom uh, where I was right off the bank from his campsite. So then fast forward to, I don't know if it was the same night or a different night. He said where it all came to a head to where he finally was like, okay, I guess I believe now is that he was laying in his tent, hearing some of that movement around and then saw an enormous hand pressing down on the top of his tent, kind of pushing it down in. Uh, and, and he said, like, if he, I think he compared it, or maybe I compared it after he told me this to like, a, you know, like a catcher's mitt or something, if you could spread the fingers out, it was, it was, you know, banana hands, it was huge, you know, big, big hand kind of pressed down and, and he saw the outline of the hand kind of pressing in. And I think he immediately, he left everything there, immediately jumped in his car, drove to go somewhere else to sleep in his car and came back during the day and packed up and, and that was that was the last time he was staying in that campsite. Wow. Wow. Well, we're getting to the, the upper edges of time here, but I do want to, I'm always fascinated by these family experiences. So if, if you wouldn't mind jumping to the, the Navajo family that with the multiple experiences. Yeah, this one's cool. This is fairly recent that I heard this too. So uh, I have a cousin who is a very kind of well-known in the area. Um, she teaches bushcraft and survival stuff. 
her and some of the people that kind of she consorts with, including her husband, have been advisors like when Les Stroud or Bear Grylls have come and done Survivor Man or have done, you know, survival stuff down in like the kind of the Badlands area of Utah, which is down near Zions and Arches and Canyonlands and some of these, you know, high desert, really remote, very rugged areas. All kind of in that Four Corners area, right, north of the Grand Canyon and uh, that's smack dab in the middle of the Navajo Nation. Biggest reservation area of all Native American tribes in the country. Huge, huge area. One of the ladies that, uh, so they, they put on these big events, my cousin and other people, they put on these big events where they're kind of, they're some of the hosts where they teach different bushcraft skills and it ranges across a lot of things. And they have a lot, they have hundreds of people turn out to these events. One of the people that she has got to know very well over the years Navajo lady, her and her family grew up, you know, out on the res. Uh, in, in, uh, I, I don't know if this was Northern Arizona or Northeastern Arizona or Northwestern New Mexico, but in that area, mm-hmm. very near four corners, they, in their area, I don't know if you've ever been out on some of these Western reservations, but you'll see like houses, trailers, hogans, these yurt looking things just out there. They'll have tires on the top of their roof to kind of the wind gets going so bad out there. They put tires up there to keep the shingles from blowing off. It's pretty dire circumstances, you know, that you'll see out on some of these reservation homes and properties. And she grew up on one of these properties that was kind of in the scrub foothills and stuff. And she said that her earliest memory was being a little girl. She goes, you know, where we grew up when we were out playing you know, her and her brothers, her older brothers and stuff, you know, if they had to go to the bathroom, they just kind of squatted down and did their thing right there. You know, there was, mm-hmm. there wasn't a backyard even to, to, to worry about or an outhouse. They just kind of, so she was kind of squatting down, <laughs> taking a leak as a little girl. And she remembers as she's looking down and, um, you know, her underwear around her ankles and she's seeing behind her as she's kind of looking down as like, you're talking four or five, six years old a giant foot directly behind her giant hairy foot oh wow directly behind her and her squealing and just kind of running back to the house she goes that was the first time that i remember but she says it was very very common she goes we it was almost like they were kind of tricksters they would come around and her brothers somewhere on the property had made kind of a fort of a bunch of old i don't know broken off pieces of cars but i know the roof of this fort was a was a was the hood of an old truck like a, the big steel hood of an old truck was just the big flat roof of their fort. And they, when they were back there, a lot of times these things would come around, but they were literally used to this. Right. Oh, so wow. it'd be like, you know, coming around, they'd hear it kind of throwing rocks, plinking the top of the hood of this thing. And they could see right out. They could see the thing just kind of like hiding behind bushes or the things, maybe multiples of them. But one time they were in there and they were kind of yelling back and forth at this thing and, and they'd get like grunts or yelled back at or whatever. And one time the thing came up, ran up to the fort while they were in it, just don't, don't, don't run up to the fort and grab that. Imagine an old 60s or 70s old pickup truck, heavy steel hood, mm-hmm. and threw that thing like a Frisbee. Oh, Picked that goodness. thing and flung it like a Frisbee and ran off, you know, almost as if it was like, you know, thought it did a, you know, it was playing the prank on them or, or it wasn't being mean. It was or even intimidating. It was just kind of harassing them. Right. Right. You know, and through that thing and they all go running back screaming as kids back to the house. 
the other memory that she had said that she goes, I even remember when all of us were eating dinner and a couple different times hearing these things getting on top of their house, mm. walking around up top. But one time they're sitting there at the table and they see the roof start getting pulled up. Like, so that they're seeing, they're seeing the sky. <laughs> wow. yeah, like it's, I mean, again, poorly constructed roof or whatever, mm-hmm. but they're seeing that thing kind of get pulled up and they're seeing the shadow of this thing. And, and at this point it's just regular enough that the boys are now trying to catch it as almost like a game of tag kind of a thing, uh, which of course they never caught them, but the boys immediately are running outside trying to catch this thing and, and everybody else inside hears the thing dunk, 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 running off the top of the house, jumping off here at hit and running off in the woods. It was almost like this very macabre game of tag that this thing would play in, in a very rough, wow. <laughs> rough primitive manner. And this person is somebody who knows, I'm sure you've known the name, like uh, Brenda Harris. Oh yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So she, she knows who that, she knows all kind of the, the, the people that are vocally, involved in kind of the Bigfoot stuff, but she, this is directly from my, my cousin, Jill. And uh, my cousin, Jill was very well associated. A few things also came from uh, just while we're on her, this cousin of mine, they also know of a person that in those very remote areas, a lot of them live completely off grid and they'll literally hike miles, miles and miles without seeing anybody between different groups of people that live off the grid. And they mm-hmm. just kind of associated with each other one of them, her husband, uh, I call Desert Dave, or he, he's referred to as Desert Dave. He's, he's a well-known desert survival expert guy. Like has literally has consulted some of the guys that are on Discovery Channel when they come into the area as kind of a local expert. Um, he's talked about people that he's that they he and my cousin have talked to um, that have had experiences. One sitting sitting in a fire, completely middle of nowhere, remote place he was spending the night before he was going to get up the next day and hike the rest of the way or wherever he was going. And he started playing pine cone catch with something in the bushes. Pine cone comes rolling in. He looks at it weird. He throws it back to the bush, just back and forth. They played wow. catch with pine cone. And then another one, the last one I'll say is for a period of time, um, that same, my cousin's husband, that survival expert guy, he used to consult a bunch of these bushcraft primitive survival camps in Northern California in the Sierras, which we all know how notorious that area is. Mm-hmm. And somebody he knew this maybe in the seventies or so they were following a Creek and they, there were some people, these um, some, a couple was hiking around an area and they were spending some time near a Creek. And this couple noticed that farther downstream they couldn't really see very clearly but they could hear people splashing around and they're like oh must, maybe we know those people kind of peaked up you know they kind of got to where they could see and they could see a couple of people like why are those or why is that person wearing a wetsuit <laughs> swimming in the creek it was kind of like a deeper like an eddy or a swimming hole kind of an area water hole area this deeper part of the creek something they saw a person in a wetsuit jumping kind of jumping into the water and swimming around underneath and then would come back out and get up on the rocks and jump back down in the water. And they're starting to look closer. And then another person comes out into the opening bigger, much bigger, much, much bigger. And then they realize those aren't wetsuits. That's wet hair. Wow. That's laying across their body that they saw these two individuals and they watched them for a while, watched them swimming in the swimming hole to the point where they got creeped out and backed off and, 
anyways, that was about all of that story. Oh, that's that's awesome though. So, do you make it a policy of just just asking everybody like you got any cool stories? Yeah, eventually, and you know, I'm not leading with it, but mm-hmm. I, love, yeah. I, I love I love listening to people tell any kind of stories, right? So, sure. part of how I love interacting, and 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 if I got to know people and know that they spend a lot of time outdoors, and especially if they've been in remote areas, and I'm just trying to get to know their story, I I will definitely start probing, and that's that's how a lot of these. And my family is an extension, my siblings and stuff, not all of them, but I've got a big family and several of us all are very interested and have heard stories from other people too. And yeah, we like to share. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you for sharing your stories. Thank you for sharing the stories you collected. What's your YouTube channel again? It's, uh, I even remember, I've been, I think it's AZ as in Arizona, AZ Squatch. Okay. There's four or five videos on there, whatever. I, I, I'm not, again, I'm not trying to promote anything or <laughs> no worries. No worries. Very impressed with the work there, you know, kind of some rookie stuff, a lot of it just filming with a phone camera, but, but some interesting stuff we did. I, one thing I didn't tell you, it's on one of those videos when we were finding those tree arches on those elk game trails right off in one of those washes. I'm pretty sure we found a track and we have, we have it on video. It's about 17 inches long. Wow. You can see the toe gripped into the bank. Is it like, like it was getting extra kind of purchase on the substrate as it was coming out of a kind of a wet wash. But that's on one of those videos. And uh, I don't know, there's four or five up there. I've got several more. I don't know that I'm going to upload on my, there was some of the stuff I was really getting tired of hearing my own voice talking about stuff. (laughs) So I just, I quit uploading a lot of them, but I've got tons and tons of photos of crazy structures and happy to send you some offline that you can share however you want. Awesome. Mike, thank you once again. And we're going to circle back and get some more paranormal stories from you in the future. But thanks for sharing all the Bigfoot stuff with us tonight. Hey, thank you. Thanks for all you do. Really appreciate it. I love your work. I love your approach to the work. I love your historical research. I know it's a pretty thankless thing a lot of times, but just appreciate what you and and your your wife and and everybody that kind of supports you guys. And uh, looking forward to reading your books too. Awesome. Thank you so much. Have a good night, Tim. I'd like to take this time to thank our patrons. Thank you so much, patrons. We could not do Strange Familiars without you. Strange Familiars happens because of our patrons. If you like the content we make, if you like the stories we bring you, and you'd like to hear more, you can become a patron at Patreon. It's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. Our patrons get full extra episodes of Strange Familiars every month. I think there's almost 70 patron episodes now. It's a couple weeks worth of binge listening. (laughs) You get all those episodes as soon as you sign up. And then, of course, we're adding more every month. Always we add one. Sometimes we'll add more than one. I think one month we might have done three patron episodes. We do whatever we can for our patrons. Go ahead and check it out. Patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. There's all different tiers of support there. You can check out different ways to support the show and get things like t-shirts or copies of my books and more. Once again, that's patreon.com slash strangefamiliars. If you don't like the idea of a monthly subscription like Patreon and you still want to help out, you can go to the show notes under any episode and look for a paypal.me link. You can click that and make a one-time donation. Everyone can help by sharing the show on social media and by liking and subscribing wherever you're listening, whatever podcatcher you use, or on YouTube if you listen there.
right, before we get to the photo of the week, we got some thank yous. I want to thank Craig T. from Idaho. His donation actually came in while we were recording. Last week. Last week. <laughs> Just missed getting in on last week's. Thank you. Joe A. from West Virginia. Thank you so much, Joe. And Mary C. from Virginia. The Virginias are showing up this week. So thank you very much. And thank you, everyone, for your support. As Allison likes to remind people, we are not done the massive thank you list from your wonderful support during my hospital stay and and shortly thereafter. So more coming as far as that goes. But thank you all for your support. Why does this tintype look different, Allison? Is this a trick question? (laughs) I don't know. Like the background looks looks lighter than than most tintypes I've seen. Oh, because it's like um, a little vignette. He's just kind of poking out of the ether. (laughs) The effect is it's a little bit clearer i think and and easier to see than some tintypes because it's it's brighter yeah yeah for this perfectly gloomy sort of uh young teenage boy (laughs) (laughs) well maybe he had been trapped in the house for a year because of a pandemic yeah that could be i have seen that look recently (laughs) (laughs) no it's a neat tintype it's kind of an interesting size it's a little longer than typical and he's in like a little seems to be almost like he's floating out of the clouds into like his own little vignette now, would that have been done with, like, like a mask? Yeah, I'm thinking it probably the did. photographer used. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's kind of unusual, really. You don't yeah, see, I, I see seen, um, I haven't seen a ton of them. This that effect like that. like that every day. Not on tintypes. Much more common on CDVs and stuff. Yeah, I do like it because he does have this sort of, like, sort of ethereal look to him that way. Yeah. He kind of looks like he's just floating in. Yeah, it really, I mean, it, it really has the feel of a CDV. Mm-hmm. Even though it is... Most definitely a tintype. Yeah, I like those those photos that are sort of like uh, precursors to another era. Or yeah. sometimes they're done in reverse, where you'll you know you'll have like a copy dag or something like that on a cabinet card, and you're like something just doesn't look quite right, and then you realize that it's you know a copy of a much earlier picture on that medium. Right. Well, if you go to the show notes under this episode, you'll see an image of this photo. You can click that; it'll take you to our Etsy shop where you can purchase that or other photos of the week. While you're at our Etsy shop, it's shop name Lost Grave, one word, but if you type in Strange Familiars, our stuff will come up. You can find the new Bigfoot cards I mentioned at the top of the show. You can find my art book, Apparitions, Illustrations of the Other. You can find all my other books, which we got restocks of last week. All the books are in stock. You can find some of my CDs, some artwork, and more. Check it out. Ordering from our Etsy shop definitely helps support the show. Thank you for everyone who has done that as well. And while you're on Etsy, check out Chad's shop, Ruck Rabbit Outdoors, and check out our friends at Karmic Garden with their strange familiars, flannel man scents, and much, much more. I took a hike today. Woohoo! It was the first time since the hospital that I've been in the woods. It was a short hike, but it was very, very nice. Perfect day today. A little cooler than it probably even should be for this time of year, but... Yeah. Sunny, a little overcast, so you don't have to worry about being burnt. <laughs> definitely felt it in my legs. I, my legs definitely not there yet, but, you know, even a short hike is a good hike. So that's very, true. Very, very happy to do that. So that is encouraging. I think that's all the news we have for this week. We will be back soon with another episode of Strange Familiars. Strange Familiars is a production of Dark Holler Arts, music, books, art, podcasts, and more. Our intro and background music is by Stone Breath. 
If you want to hear more or purchase music from Stonebreath, you can go to stonebreath.bandcamp.com. Strange Familiars is on Facebook, facebook.com slash strangefamiliars, where you can join the Strange Familiars Gathering Group. We're on Instagram, at strangefamiliars, and you can always find us at strangefamiliars.com.
is no deterrent for a boy who hears the ghost Calling from the earth below in single voice a host He sits among the headstones singing little songs While his mother mutters something here is wrong inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here in America, work is in trouble. We've offshored our manufacturing, sent away good jobs, and lost so much ability to make things. American Giant is a company that's pushing back against this tide. They make high-quality clothing, sweatshirts, jeans, dresses, jackets, and so much more right here in the USA. Visit American-Giant.com and get 20% off your first order when you use code STAPLE20 at checkout. That's 20% off your first order at American-Giant.com. Promo code STAPLE20.